Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Canton Church, a campus of Mount Perrin North. We exist to help people live a Christ-centered life, and we hope that you are encouraged by today's message. I'm about to tell you a story that's going to make some of you think less of me. Others of you, it may actually improve your impressions of me. I'm not really sure, but when I was in the eighth grade, I, uh, I was sitting in science class one day. I was a pretty good student. Didn't really get in trouble, made pretty good grades, but I was sitting in science class, and in our science class, we didn't have individual desks. We had these long, like, rectangular, like, experiment-type tables, so there was, like, four to six people around each table, and that's how we sat in the class. And so I was sitting at a table with three or four of my buddies, and we, uh, we, we were sitting there, and, you know, they may not have been the greatest friends. They may not have made the best uh, decisions with their life, but... They were my friends. They liked me. I liked them. And so we were sitting at this table, and one of my friends, the guy kind of sitting next to me, he broke a pencil in half, and he decided that he was going to throw the pencil across the room to hit one of our other friends that was sitting at a different table. And so he snapped the pencil in half, and he lets it go, and it flies across the room, and it was going to hit our friend, but it didn't. It actually hit the guy next to him, who was not our friend, who didn't actually like us at all. And so it hit that guy, and I don't know if my friends were practicing for a later life in crime, but like when the, when the pencil was in the air, they all immediately like turned and they were doing, you know, schoolwork or whatever, and I'm staring right at the table, and when it hit the other guy, I am laughing like it's the funniest thing I've ever seen, and he looks up and stares right at me, stares at our table. Everybody else is just perfect students, and I'm laughing at him getting hit by a pencil. And so he was like, well... All right, so he picks up the pencil, and he throws it back at me, and it hits me in the shoulder. Well, now I'm like, now I'm involved. So I pick up the pencil, and I didn't throw the first one, but I did throw this one. I threw the pencil at him and hit him, and he looked at me, and he shook his head real angry like a bull looking at, you know, the red drape or whatever they do, just shaking his head. So I looked at him for a minute. He quit looking at me. He finishes his work. He takes his work up to the teacher's desk. I may have forgotten to mention, but there was a substitute teacher in the class that day. I may have forgotten to mention that. It was kind of intentional. So he takes his work up there, and instead of going right back to his seat, he walks the long way around the classroom and gets kind of behind where I'm at, and he punches me right in the back of the head. And I may have had a concussion, so the next few minutes of detail may be a little fuzzy. But to the best of my recollection, in one smooth, agile, very athletic maneuver, I whirled around and hit him right in the jaw. It was like a scene from Mike Tyson Punch-Out on Nintendo. And, and in, again, in my head, it seems like we, ha- we kind of went toe-to-toe for like three rounds. It might have just been a bunch of slapping for the next few seconds. I'm not really sure. I know that our friends jumped up, separated us. The substitute teacher came and grabbed us, separated us. He walked us both to the principal's office. And there, the principal could not believe that I was in trouble. I'm not even kidding. Like, I had not gotten in trouble. I was a good student. I'm like, what in the world happened? Explain yourselves. And so the guy said, he hit me with a pencil. I said, no, I didn't. The other guy did. The principal said, what other guy? Well, if I'm one thing, I'm not a rat. I learned that in prison. (laughs) But that's a different story. So I didn't tell him who the other guy was. So we both got suspended for three days. Now, 
it's really like the only black mark on my educational experience. Like, it's kind of the only black mark on my childhood in that regard. I was suspended for three days in eighth grade, and my parents nearly killed me for this three-day suspension because of really my one and only public fight. Now, I fought a lot with my brother at home, but those don't count. This was kind of my one and only, like, public fight. Like, like I, I actually fought, and people can verify that it happened, you know. And, and I'm almost ashamed to tell you that story, not because I got suspended. I mean, that's a regret, but not because I got suspended, but because of how dumb the details of that story are. Like, I, I would love to tell you that I got in one fight when I was younger, but it was to rescue a girl that was being kidnapped by strangers in our neighborhood, and I rescued her and saved her out of a life of crime. But, no, I, I got in a fight because a guy threw a pencil at another guy in eighth grade science class. Like, it, it doesn't really have that kind of emotional connection. I wasn't really fighting for something worth fighting for. I got pulled into a situation and didn't get out of that situation, and I got in trouble because one guy threw a pencil at another guy. And so that's what we want to talk about a little bit today, not pencils being thrown at each other, but what we fight for. We started last week in this series, Chase the Lion, based on the book by Pastor Mark Batterson. We've got a couple of books available. I think we still have a few books available today. We sold out last week. We ordered some more, and we've been selling a lot today. So if you want to pick one up, they're $15 and two for $25. We've got just a few. We're not making money off these. We're just helping get these here to you. We're, we're pretty much selling them for what we paid for them. But we'd love to put those in your hands. a great book. Last week, we talked about a guy found in 2 Samuel chapter 23 named Benai. And Benai chased a lion, this big 500-pound lion. He chased him into a pit on a snowy day. And when one of them emerged from that pit, it was Benai. He had killed that lion. He had chased that lion down into the pit. And we talked about that all of us need to be chasing these God-sized dreams. And so some of us last week, we prayed that God would just give us a God-sized dream that we could chase. And others of us, we asked God to help us to do something this past week to chase the dream that we knew that God had previously placed on our heart. And so today we want to stay in 2 Samuel 23. So if you've got a Bible or a device you want to follow along, 2 Samuel 23, we're going to read about another one of these men that's mentioned in 2 Samuel 23. I told you last week that this chapter of Scripture is the place that we see David's mighty men introduced, King David. These men had come to him at the cave of Agilom, and these were the men that he would later lean on to not just win some battles before he became king, but even after he became king, he would, come to, uh, he, he would come to battle, and these were the men that would fight for him. And So these were some mighty warriors. They were fierce men. They were strong men. And so these are the names that are listed here, and we read about them, and we read these amazing feats of strength that they were able to accomplish, like Benai last week. And so the man that we're going to read about today is listed in verse 8, and his name is Josheb Beshebeth. But I don't want to say that like 20 more times, so we're just going to call him Josh the rest of the day, if that's okay with you guys. But we're going to read this in 2 Samuel 23, beginning in verse 8. These are the names of David's mighty warriors. Josheb Beshebeth, a Tachamanite, was chief of the three. He raised his spear against 800 men whom he killed in one encounter. That's all we're going to read right there. So this guy killed 800 men in one encounter with his spear. Now, I told you that David had these mighty men, 
We understand there to be about 30 or so. There's 37 names written here in this chapter, but we understand there to be about 30 or so of these mighty men of King David. But then out of that 30, there were three who had kind of a special place of honor. They were the three that were the strongest, the bravest, the fiercest fighters. And of those three, Josh was the kind of the head of that. He was the chief of the three, the chief of the 30. And so we understand him to be the strongest, fiercest, mightiest warrior that David had among these men that would fight on his behalf and would help him to accomplish all the things that he wanted to accomplish. And we don't see his name listed anywhere else in Scripture except right here in 2 Samuel 23 and 8. Now, he is included when we see references to David's mighty men and all that they would accomplish together as a group and all the things that would be done. But this is the only verse in Scripture where his name is mentioned along with something That he accomplished. And so the only details that we have from his life is that he was the chief of the three of the 30 of David's mighty men. And in one encounter, he took a spear and he killed 800 men. Now, I love stories like this in the Bible, and I hate stories like this in the Bible, if I'm being honest. I love stories because it's, it's incredible reading. It, it seems like this really epic, dramatic reading movie. I told you last week, I mean, some of these stories could be like the equivalent of Braveheart and Gladiator and those types of movies. I mean, these are incredible stories. But I also sometimes read these stories and I tend to downplay what's possible with you know, in present day, because I don't see a lot of people killing 800 people, at least in my world. Now, maybe there are places around the world where this is taking place. And so sometimes I struggle to connect my present context with what I'm reading in Scripture until I think about the fact that he killed 800 people with a spear. And then I start to think about the details of the story. Now, you know, how did this happen? How was this accomplished? Because I can't figure out how one guy kills 800. I mean, were they all just standing around waiting to die one at a time? Like if you were number 432, were you just waiting until 431 fought and died? And then you're like, well, I'm up next. And, you know, you take your turn. Like I've watched enough, you know, WrestleMania that I don't think you have to tag in anymore. I think we all just jump into the ring and it's like, I think all 800 of us together could beat this guy. But evidently that's not what's happening. And so today the purpose is not to help you be better at hand-to-hand combat, because I'm the least qualified guy to teach you that. It's really to ask you some important questions for your life. Questions like, what battles do you need to fight? Questions like, what enemy do you need to charge? And what dreams are you fighting for? Now, we talked a little bit last week about our dreams, those God-sized dreams that we were chasing and pursuing, we talked about charging after some big things. But it occurs to me that for all of us in this room, that there are three types of battles that we fight. Three types of fights that all of us in this room, at some time or another, maybe presently, maybe in our past, or at some point in our future, we're going to fight these types of battles. And the first one is this. It's a fight to kill something. Not someone, a fight to kill something. And what I mean by this is maybe you are fighting to kill an addiction. You're fighting to kill some type of sinful behavior in your life. And you've been wrestling with this thing for a long time. 
It's something that you can't seem to get control of. It's something that you've attempted all the steps or all the things or you've told the stories, you've written the things, you've done all the things that you were supposed to do. Maybe you've even prayed about them and you've come and prayed at an altar and you've cried and you felt like it was done, but it's not done. And so you have just battled over and over and over with these addictive types of things, these sinful behaviors. And maybe you are battling to kill that addictive or sinful behavior in your life. Maybe you are battling, you are fighting to kill an unhealthy relationship that just won't let go of you. And notice I didn't say kill the person in the relationship. I mean, you're just killing the unhealthy relationship. And so you're fighting to kill something. Others of us, or maybe the same group of people, we're we're fighting to gain something. We're not fighting to kill something, we're fighting to gain something. For some of us, maybe we're fighting for custody of our children. We're fighting for the trust of a spouse We're fighting for the respect of our family. We're fighting for the love of a parent. We're fighting for the dream that's in our heart. Or we're fighting for healing for our body. Some of us are fighting to kill something. Others of us are fighting to gain something. The third type of fight that some of us fight is we fight to keep something. We fight to keep our marriage. We really fight to keep our integrity. We we fight, some of us, to keep our purity. We're fighting to keep our faith. When circumstances are coming against us, when we're in relationships where our integrity is being tempted to be compromised, when our purity is being tempted to be compromised, we are fighting to maintain our purity. We're fighting to maintain our integrity. We're fighting to save our marriage for some of us. So some of us were fighting to kill something like addictive behavior or sin in our lifestyle. Some of us were fighting to gain something, trust, or a respect or a relationship that we, we lack in our lives. And for others of us, we're fighting to keep something. You, you know, when you have a fight, that fight is what wakes you up in the morning. When you have a fight, you have something that will really drive you throughout the day. It gives you that purpose. It gives you that passion to live. It's really what ignites your life. You find fulfillment as you pursue and you fight for this thing, whatever it is in your life. In the book we've been reading, Chase the Lion, that some of you purchased and some of you are kind of following along as we take part in this series, the author, Batterson, writes this, we don't die when our hearts stop beating. We die when our hearts stop skipping a beat in pursuit of our passions, when our hearts stop breaking for the things that break the heart of God. I think for a lot of us, that's, that's the reality because we're still alive. Our heart's still beating, breath is still going through our lungs, but man, we don't feel like we have anything to live for. We've stopped pursuing our passions. We've stopped fighting for things in our lives. And so we don't know that we actually have anything to fight for. And maybe sometimes, for some of us, it's not that we don't have anything to fight for, but we fought for it, and it feels overwhelming. It feels insurmountable. It feels like we're facing an 800-pound or an 800-person enemy, and we're just one little person. How can one little person overcome 800 people and all we've got to spear, all we've got, you know, just this little thing in our hand, we don't have enough to defeat that kind of enemy and it seems overwhelming, it seems impossible, it seems insurmountable and so we fought for a while but we gave up. It's like 800 to one odds, it just felt like, man, there's no way to do this or maybe we fought for a while and we got injured and we just didn't think we could keep fighting anymore with the injury that we had and how much it hurt and the pain that we had experienced and so we just quit fighting and we felt like our enemy just overtook us. But I think what we've done is we have missed the entire objective of this story. Because when we read that it happened in one encounter, we think that it happened instantaneously. 
But in this day and time, there was no grenade. You couldn't just throw a grenade in the middle of 800 people and all of them die. He had to beat 800 people one at a time. He had to defeat the enemy one battle at a time with his spear. And so when I think about that, when I look at this story, I think about in my life and in your life what those small battles look like because we all want to accomplish great things. We all want to find victory. We all want to find freedom. We want to gain what it is we're fighting for. But maybe small battles prepare us to win big wars. Maybe small acts of obedience prepare us for crazy big acts of obedience. Maybe small acts of faithfulness prepare us for bigger audiences. Maybe small acts of love prepare us for more influence. You don't become a mighty warrior overnight. You become a mighty warrior one battle at a time. You don't become a prayer warrior overnight. You pray one seemingly insignificant prayer at a time. You don't become a giant in the faith overnight. Just one seemingly trivial act of obedience at a time. You become this giant of the faith because one by one by one you win these small battles, these small battles, these small battles right in front of you and it produces greatness in you. One battle at a time. One little thing at a time. Luke chapter 16 verse 10 says, If you are faithful in the little things, you will be faithful in large things. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. It says, if you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in larger things. I've talked to so many people in my time in ministry and just in life in general that want bigger influence and bigger responsibilities and they want more money and more possessions and more. And here's what I would say to you. It's not going to make you a different person. It's just going to make you more of who you already are. If you are not generous now, you getting more money will not make you more generous. If you don't tithe now, you're not going to give God more money when you have more money. You're going to want to spend more money. It's just going to make you more of who you already are. If you're not kind and you're not patient as a leader on your job, if you get greater influence, it's not going to make you more kind and more patient. It's just going to make you more of who you already are. And so what we have to do is we have to quit looking at 800-person enemies. We have to quit looking at all of the huge battles that are out there, and we just have to focus on what's right in front of us. You know, a lot of us, we're just great starters, aren't we? You know, we start the new year. We've talked about New Year's resolutions a lot this year. We start the New Year's resolutions, you know, season, and we say, hey, we're going to work out more than we've ever worked out. We're going to lose more weight than we've ever lost. We're going to save more money than we've ever saved, and we're not going to take, you know, not going to buy lunch at work. We're going to take our lunch. And so the first day or two, what we do is, you know, we take our own lunch. We're brown bagging it. And so we snap a picture of it and post it. Like, look at me, ham and cheese on rye, you know. I think I said ham and egg on rye in the first, second service. I don't even know if that's a good sandwich. So like ham and cheese on rye, look at me. I'm not spending, you know, $5 I'm saving right here. We go to the gym. You know, we post a picture of us like flexing in the mirror. We post an update. It was like, hey, I ran 97 miles before breakfast this morning. We post the picture of the treadmill, and it's .97. We didn't even run a mile, but we felt like we were dying. <laughs> Just me? Okay. Because what we do, we, we, we start, and we want people to know the commitments that we've made. We're going to lose 50 pounds. We're going to save $1,000 this year. We're going to, whatever our big goal is. But we don't actually have a strategy to lose the first five pounds. We don't actually have a strategy to save the first $50. We're starters and we're chasing a big goal and we want people to know how hard and how much we really are passionate about the big goal and look what I've committed to and look what I'm going to accomplish. And we forget 
to take it one battle at a time, one moment at a time. And so the first day we work out, the second day, you know, we take our lunch, the third day we do that. The fourth day we hit snooze 17 times. We're like, I'll work out right before I go to bed tonight. And we do, but then the fifth day, we're like, okay, we hit snooze 17 times, I'll work out before I go to bed tonight, but then we forget, and so we miss that day. And then the next day, it's like, well, I miss one day, I'll just give up this year. And so we're just like, we're done with it, because we're good starters, we're not really good finishers, because we don't have the motivation. We don't know what we're actually fighting for. Nehemiah is one of my favorite stories in Scripture. Pastor Mark, who's our senior pastor, it's his favorite story in scripture. If I always know if there's a Sunday where we don't have a sermon series planned, he's going to find a way to work Nehemiah into that sermon. It's going to happen. But I love the story of Nehemiah. It's so rich. There's so much good stuff in this story. If you don't know the story of Nehemiah, it's found in the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. Nehemiah was working for the king and he got wind that the city of God, the walls around the city of God, the people of God, his people, that they had been destroyed. And so the walls came down and so he's, he's weeping and mourning over this loss of the walls, the protection for his people. And so he asks the king, can I go back and rebuild the walls? The king gives him permission, gives him the orders to pass safely through and to get the supplies that he needs. He gets there and he rides around at night, kind of looking at the condition of the walls. He gathers the people together and says, we're going to rebuild these walls. And they start doing that. And then the enemy, the opposition comes against them and says, you guys aren't, you're not builders. You can't build walls. You're you're blacksmiths and you, you, you're priests and you don't build walls. You do other things. So as soon as you build it, it's going to be weak and we're going to knock it down. And so, you know, we're just, it's not a good job. And they, they start to get discouraged. It says, well, even if you build it up, we'll still figure out a way to get in. And they get discouraged. And so Nehemiah realizes that he's got to change the perspective and give the right motivation for the people. Because they're like, listen, we... If the enemies come, we, we can't fight against them. We're not protected. So Nehemiah changes the jobs that they have. And here's what it says in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 13 and 14. It says, Therefore I, Nehemiah, stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them, talking about the enemies. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. You know what Nehemiah realized? He realized that nobody was going to fight for a wall. You and I build walls with our lives all the time. We're, we're doing a job. We're you know, trying to accomplish something. That's a wall. That's that's not necessarily worth fighting for. But you have something to fight for. And just like Nehemiah did for the people, you need to identify what is it in your life that you need to fight for. You need to fight for your marriage. You need to fight for your home. You need to fight for your kids. You need to fight for freedom from this addictive behavior, sinful lifestyle. What is it that you need to fight Four, don't fight for the wall, fight for your family, fight for your home, fight for your wives and your sons and your daughters. Nehemiah understood this idea. Because when we read this and we see that Josh killed 800 people in one encounter with a spear, we kind of think it was like instantaneous, it just happened. No, it was one battle at a time, one win at a time. And so today, if you would say, well, I don't know how to do that. Like, I'm trying to kill, I'm fighting for 
freedom from an addictive behavior. I'm trying I'm fighting to kill that addictive behavior. How do I do that? What do I do? I've tried it before. I've prayed before. I've done the thing. I've done the steps. I bought the stuff. Like, how do I do it? What if you just pursued victory this hour? Don't, don't, try, to, don't try to kill 800 enemies at one time. What if you just tried to win this moment? What if you just tried to find victory in this hour for the next 40 minutes? You just pursued victory for 40 minutes. And then when the clock rolls over, you just pursue victory for that next hour. And then you just chase victory for that next hour. You just win that battle. Every temptation that comes, you just win that battle. You tell somebody, you talk to somebody, you call somebody, you text somebody, you say, listen, I'm struggling right now in this temptation. This addictive behavior is coming back up in my life. I want to win this battle. I need you to know. Redirect my attention. Come pick me up. Let's meet for lunch. Let's meet for coffee. Let's go do something because I got to win this moment. I got to win this battle. Because here's what will happen. Hours will turn into days. And days will turn into weeks, and weeks will turn into months, and months will turn into years. And there will come a point where you'll look back and you'll go, how in the world did I ever defeat this thing? I mean, I, I just, I destroyed this addictive behavior in my life. I destroyed this sinful behavior that I had in my life. I don't even remember how it happened. It happened one moment at a time. You say, I'm fighting for my marriage. I'm fighting for God to help save my marriage. I mean, we're just hanging on by a thread. We've got so many problems and so many issues and trust has been broken in so many ways. I, I don't know how to put my arms around everything that needs to be done. But I, I, I am fighting for my marriage. You know how you do it? You win today. You just fight for your marriage today. When church is over, if your spouse is with you, or even if they're not, maybe the first thing you need to do is apologize for something that you did. Or if they apologize to you, that you forgive them, even when you don't feel like it. You go home. Take out the trash. This afternoon, turn the Xbox off. Turn the movie off. Ask a question. Have a conversation. Tell them that you love them. Tell them that you're sorry. Just win today. Win this battle today. And when you wake up tomorrow, do everything within your power to win tomorrow. You say, I I'm just trying to gain trust. I've broken trust. There's people in my life, people on my job. I I'm fighting to gain trust back. You know what you do? You just win every little battle that comes your way. Every time you could tell a little white lie, you just tell the truth. Even if you're afraid of how they're going to react, even if you're afraid that they're going to get their feelings hurt, even if they're afraid that they won't respect you as much, they're going to respect the fact that you said something that was hard. You told the truth. Just tell the truth. Every chance you get, you just tell the truth. You just be trustworthy. You be where you say you're going to be. You show up on time. One battle at a time. One battle at a time. You don't try to beat 800 people at one time. You just one battle at a time. You just keep moving forward and you just keep fighting because here's the deal. It is worth fighting for. You're not trying to lose weight so you look better in your clothes. You're fighting for health because one day you want to be there to walk your daughter down the aisle. 
You want to be sitting there when your son graduates, when they buy their first house, that you can bring them a housewarming gift. You want health. It's worth fighting for. You want to stay married because everybody in your family has been divorced as far back as you can remember. And you don't want that to be the story for your children. And so even when it's hard, you're going to fight for it. You're going to fight for your marriage. You're going to say you're sorry. You're going to ask for forgiveness. You're going to do the hard things because it is worth fighting for to change generations of people with your last name that we stay married because I watched my mom and dad do that. It is worth fighting for. I remember when my mom was sick, and I tell this story or parts of this story pretty often, and I, and I only do it because it's a part of my story, and I learned so much about God in this season of time. Before my mom passed away, I remember that she was in the hospital, and we had promised her that she would not die in a hospital, and so we were trying to listen to the reports of the doctor, and when should we take her home? And I was there by myself one day at the hospital, and I've told part of this story before, and Everybody else had gone to lunch, and I was sitting there in the room, and the doctor made her rounds. I said, Doc, if this was your mom, we, we promised my mom she wouldn't die in a hospital. If this was your mom, when would you take her home? She said, today. I said, how long do you think we have? She said, hours, maybe a day at the most. I said, okay. So I called my dad. I said, you guys need to come back. Let's start the hospice care transition. We'll take her back to the house. We brought her home. We surrounded her with family. Me and Corey and our kids, we were there. My brother and his kids were there. And my dad and my mom's siblings and some of their family was there. And we just kind of gathered in close, just gathered together. And we'd go in her bedroom and we'd sing. We'd tell stories. We'd laugh. We didn't think she could hear us. She wasn't coherent at all, non-responsive, completely non-responsive. And she lived that day and all that night. The next day, we just kept singing and talking. And we'd just hang out in her room and we'd go go downstairs and eat, and we'd come back. Somebody was always there just kind of talking and having conversation around her. And one day while we were singing, she just sat up in the bed and started singing with us. Then she laid back down. She went back into a coma. She lived 11 days. We felt like we stole time from death. And I remember asking the hospice nurse one day, what's the deal? I mean, they told us like a few hours or a day maybe, and Here we are, a week, 10 days later. She said, you know, the only thing that medical science has never been able to quantify is the human will to live. Your mom's got something to fight for. She hears your voices. She hears those grandbabies. She hears you singing. There's something in her that she has to fight for. And I realize in this room this morning, we're not talking about life and death, except that we are talking about life and death. And you have something to fight for. Your integrity is is worth fighting for. Your purity is worth fighting for. Your your faithfulness in your marriage is worth fighting for. Your relationship with your children is worth fighting for. Even if they told you they're done with you, keep fighting, keep pursuing, keep calling, keep texting. Your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your coworkers, your integrity on your job, even when you think nobody will know, it's worth fighting for to keep your integrity. It is worth fighting for. Don't just pursue it because it makes you feel good. Don't just pursue it because you think it's what you're supposed to do. No, no, no. You are pursuing freedom from an addictive behavior because you have forgotten what freedom feels like. 
And you want to make sure that your kids and your grandkids and your spouse and your friends and your coworkers and your neighbors, they see that there's something different in you because you didn't give up when it got hard. Every time a new battle came up and you had already beaten 50 or 60 or 70 or 200 or 300 or 400 guys, you just kept fighting because you knew the only way to live to the end of this day was to beat everything that showed up in front of you. And so you just keep fighting. You just keep fighting. And here's what I promise you, and I know this is hard. You're probably going to fight with that thing or those things or some things all of your life. Don't get discouraged. Don't think you ever get past it. You just keep fighting because it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. Every time you get tempted to do something to compromise who you are, think about every single person that will have to pay the price for whatever it is you're giving into right now. Every single moment that it gets hard and you want to give up because you're just not sure if fighting for integrity or fighting for purity or fighting for this thing or fighting for that thing is worth it, just keep fighting because there will come a day when someone will look in your face and they will look at you and they will say, you know, there came a point where I wanted to compromise who I was, but I thought about you and I recognized that you never did that. You were pure and you were faithful. You had integrity. You were always trustworthy. In that moment, you go, how did we even get here? I, I don't remember beating all 800 enemies, but it was one battle at a time. Keep fighting for you, for your family, for your future, for your kids, for your grandkids. Keep fighting. It really does matter. One battle at a time. One battle at a time. Keep fighting. Let's pray. God, I thank you today for every person in this room because they're alive. And if they're alive, I think that means that you have something that you want them to fight for. You want them to fight to kill something in their lives, addictive behavior, sin, character flaws that don't represent you and who you are. You have something you want them to fight to keep their marriage, their integrity, their purity. They have something, you have something you want them to fight to, to gain respect and trust and relationship that's been lost. God, whatever it is in this room right now, every individual person, I pray right now that you would help them to have the desire to fight, to recognize that it's worth it, to know that it matters. God, that one day there would be somebody that would walk by and just thank them that they kept fighting, that they fought to stay married, they fought to establish relationship or renew relationship with their kids, to maintain their integrity on their job, to get free from addiction. God, help us today to keep fighting because it's worth it. pray for every person in this room and every person that may listen in the future on some recording of this that God right now as they drive in their car or when we walk out of this place that we would have the strength and the conviction to keep fighting fight for our families fight for our future fight for freedom God we believe that as we trust you more than we ever have before that you will do more in us and through us than you ever have before as we keep fighting one battle at a time. In 
Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or facebook.com slash cantonchurchga.com.